Now, this is Box to Box with Michael Edgley and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. With Rob Gilbert on the bench, you're with Willem van Denderen and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news, including the latest on our Socceroos and Matildas shortly, while as always, our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will join us throughout the show. After a couple of years of flipping the magnets, Tony Gustafsson's Matildas look to have settled at just the right time. The recent Cup of Nations tournament puts them on a seven-game winning run four months out from the World Cup. Perhaps no player has embodied their regained confidence and stability, more so than goalkeeper Mackenzie Arnold. It's always a great thrill to have our national representatives on the program, so really looking forward to checking in with Mackenzie from London shortly. We'll then hop across to Berlin, where Union continue to defy expectations and remain entrenched in the Bundesliga's top four. They also remain alive in European competition, so we'll catch up with the Athletics' Kit Holden for an update on Di Ersenen. In amongst all of that, Michael, as I welcome you to the program, our young Socceroos are up to their necks in the AFC's Under-20 Asian Cup. Visit Saudi could be off, and Manchester United have been reminded that a week is a very long time in football. They certainly have, Willem, haven't they? And the Liverpool fans got something to celebrate. Um, seven goals in that match. Nobody expected that sort of result, I'm sure. But uh, lots to talk about tonight. Uh, there is a, a lot going on in the game, as always. And um, just for Derek and my sake, Arsenal gave us a bit of a heart uh, scare in the uh, in the men's competition in the Premier League. Uh, but they got the job done, and we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later on as well, too. Yeah, Derek, we don't set out each week to talk about Arsenal off the top, but they just continue to write the headlines. How did you take in the uh, the win over Bournemouth? 2-0 down, 3-2 winners. Yeah, look, I'm not going to lie. I didn't I didn't stay up to watch this game, obviously, on right in the in the dead of night here in Australia. But So my first contact with it was about 6am the next morning and kind of sleepily reaching over to the phone to put on the BBC Sports app and... Of course, saw the headline that we'd won, which was good, but then obviously had to then start taking in the circumstances of the win. And of course, it wasn't long before I was watching highlights, mini-matches uh, and everything else. So yeah, look, obviously just relieved to get the result. And I was speaking to some Gunners fans over in the UK who went to the game and they said it was probably the loudest noise they've ever heard in Emirates Stadium when that winner went in. You do need a squad to win a championship across the 38 games. Uh, Eddie Nketiah earlier in the season was one who perhaps uh, jumped off the page as a player who you might not expect to contribute as strongly as he did. So finding that sort of uh, additional contribution is important. And uh, this week it was Reese Nelson who had his moment. Yeah, but Reece Nelson's not really been near the first team at all this season. I mean, all, most Arsenal fans who follow the club uh, with a close eye, no one will know about Reith Nelson. He's another academy product. He He's highly talented and he's one of those players where, in a way, we all struggle to keep hold of him because, really, because he's not getting the opportunities at Arsenal. It would be fair enough for him to say, look, you know, I like Joe Willock, who had to go to to, uh, to Newcastle United and Awobi, who went to Everton, that they need to leave Arsenal to get the chances. But obviously, come off the hour, come off the man, and when that ball dropped to him at the edge of the box... Uh, outside the the North Bank, there on his on his weaker foot as well. Um, what what a sensational strike uh, to to end a sensational game, and uh, he seemed pretty pleased after the game, Willem. 
Yeah, it would have kicked off about 11 o'clock your time in uh, Thailand there, Michael. It was a, a cracking finish with the eyes still open uh, right at the conclusion of the match. You know, there is a degree of confidence around this young group. They are a very young group, so you're sort of expecting them to fail every game at the moment. You're expecting that, um, you know, because they are, I think they're the second youngest team in the Premier League this year, which we should remember. So it is a remarkable story. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just expecting them to, you know, get tripped up somewhere along the way. But they found uh, another gear. And uh, just to reiterate Derek's comments, Reese Nelson's Thunderbolt was uh, something to behold. And, um, yeah, the Arsenal fans uh, in the uh, in the bar that I was watching with uh, well and surely enjoyed that. And we've buried the lead a bit, a little bit talking about Arsenal from an Australian perspective as we move on to the news because Caitlin Ford and Steph Catley have won their first piece of silverware with the club, defeating Chelsea in the League Cup final before 19,000 at Selhurst Park. Sam Kerr, who else, opened the scoring for Chelsea, but the Gunners had three on the board uh, in reply by the half, with both Aussies playing key hands across the 90. Uh, Derek, that's Arsenal's women's side's first trophy in four years. We think of them uh, as a pillar of success in, in the English women's uh, game. So I guess by their standards, that's a, a bit of a, a barren run. Good to see them back to winning ways post-Joe Montemurro. Yeah, he's a little bit like Manchester United winning the Men's League Cup, like a bit of a barren spell, as you said. and Broke the drought. Broke the drought. And against the team in Chelsea, who have, have certainly been the kings of London, or certainly the top the top side in London in, in, in women's, uh, women's football there under Emma Hayes. And of course, Arsenal doing this without their super talented uh, talisman, Vivian Miedemar, which of course was a, was a huge uh, blow. But obviously... They do have uh, riches elsewhere and none more so than the two Australian players, um, uh, Caitlin Ford uh, and Catley. Catley, yep, one. Catley. Yep, yep. Catley. So, um, yeah, look, great, great for them. Staying with the women's game, FIFA could be set to scrap their Women's World Cup sponsorship agreement with Saudi Arabia, all to be nutted out ahead of its Congress in Rwanda next week. The Nine Papers here in Australia reported FIFA had been shocked by the backlash over the mooted sponsorship, which is yet to be formalised. It was uh, reported, Michael, that a reshaping of the deal could be on the cards, potentially with a different entity of the Saudi government, so not the, uh, not the tourism arm, not actually asking people to come to the nation not an organization that backs down too often no but they'll um, be looking at the longer term aspect of this uh, the saudis you know they would have done all this for a reason uh, they obviously got the asian cup uh the the edition after the qatar uh, asian cup next january they've got that and they're also the lead candidate for the women's asian cup as well the next edition so um, you know they'll be playing a long game the saudis you know they'll uh, they'll take this feedback on board and they'll consider what to do with it. And FIFA wants Saudi at the table because of obvious reasons, um, Willem. It's not to, it's not for the roast lamb, is it? It's for the, uh, the cash that can be uh, flowing into FIFA's coffers. Football Australia has closed its expression of interest window for the National Second Division, with 32 clubs meeting last Friday's deadline. Next comes the request for proposal phase, in which those 32 will be, or a shortlisted number of them, will be invited to submit more detailed proposals. This is expected to run from April until June. Some clubs you'd expect there, Edge, clubs who have uh, top flight history, Marconi, Sydney United, South Melbourne, Adelaide City. Some you wouldn't. WA's only club to put their uh, hat in the ring was Cockburn City. City, the Playford Patriots of South Australia. I can't say I know too much about them. Uh, and the Sutherland Sharks in a joint bid with the Cronulla Sharks, an entity of the NRL there, uh, certainly jumps out. Uh, what stuck out to you when the official 32 
uh, were published on Monday afternoon by Football Australia. Well, what struck out to me was that I thought Adelaide City would have been an absolute lay-down mazair to get in uh, out of Adelaide, but the Football South Australia bid uh, combination of four of their uh, very successful uh, MPL teams is a very good one, I think. Um, that shocked me. That was, a, that was one that I didn't uh, expect would happen. But no... All of the clubs that you uh, you know you've seen being active in the AAFC uh, process uh, are all there. Um, yes, the uh, expressing your interest in this is one thing. Stumping up the cash and uh, evolving your organisation. Sorry, uh, Damac, fix that. Evolving your organisation and also um, you know uh, coming and coming to the table with a stadium compliant. Uh, three different aspects of this and we've got a little way to go it'll be very interesting to watch the trials and tribulations or the ebbs and flows of uh, this process before announcements are made what willem sometime in june well you, you okay edge would you think that they will have a competition to some extent running in march 2024 given they've been so vocal about it i don't think it's going to be the nice romantic flowing pyramid with sort of unabated promotion relegation that we want uh, i think it'll be heavily compromised but do you think there will be some sort of uh, some sort of organised second tier? Yeah, I do, um, but I'm highly sceptical about the capacity of this group of clubs to uh, generate the revenue required to support the you know the expenditure expenditure that they'll need to when they get into these competitions. So I think we might be getting a. a, a a Champions League type format at the end of the MPL season to kick it off, and I think there'll be a staging post before a full blown you know competition comes about. That's my humble prediction. I could be completely wrong, but you know I'm highly sceptical about the ability of the clubs to really come to the table with the with the money that's uh, going to be required to full time teams, full time coaches, full time administrators, as well as uh, some stadium uh, upgrades that uh, some of them will need to make. So yeah. Well, time will tell. We'll see what happens. That Champions League style format is something that the AAFC have been strongly opposed to the whole way along. But it's a door that the that Football Australia and James Johnson have been uh, keeping open. Really, it's always mentioned in the press releases. Johnson himself has said it quite a few times that it might not be the uh, the league format uh, that is desired by your, your more traditional football fans. So one to watch most certainly. Back overseas, Manchester United have crashed back to earth, losing seven nil to Liverpool to equal their worst result in English top flight football. Ball. Uh, so that's seven zip uh, with six of those goals coming in the second half. Matches United's losses to Blackburn in 1926, Villa in 1930 and Wolves in 31. Derek, uh, two sides of this story, of course, a reality check for, for Eric Ten Hag's side. Fortunately, we got Jamie Jackson on last week when things were uh, were rosy and they did follow up their League Cup win with a 3-0 win over West Ham. So they're still alive in, in two comps and uh, they only had a slim little uh, little opening to, to challenge for the league. That may now be gone, but things aren't all uh, things aren't all uh, you know completely washed away with this one loss. But it does show that maybe the structures aren't quite as strong as we thought. This is a terrible, awful result. Like you don't want to lose seven nil in any game. You certainly don't want to lose seven nil to the biggest, your biggest and fiercest rivals. And yes, Liverpool have handed them a whooping uh, over the past few years, uh, particularly from a position of strength that Liverpool have been. But no one no one expected this. I mean, Liverpool at Anfield, you know, the mysticism aside, is still a, a, is still a tough task for any team. United may have, you know, not have, you know, felt entitled to win the game. Uh, and certainly if a Liverpool had won 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, 3-1, 
I don't think anyone would have been that surprised it's been that kind of season. But just the absolute <clears throat> calamitous nature of this this defeat and the down-tooled attitude of some of the players. I noticed that Fernandez, the captain in particular, has been singled out by fans and the media as someone that apparently was almost gesticulating that he wanted to be substituted during the game when a board was held up and it wasn't his name on there. That seemed to flow through the rest of the team. So what it does show is that I don't I don't think a lot of blame rests at Ten Hag's door here. I think I do think it's a player. This is definitely a player issue when you have such a bad underperformance. The, 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 the momentum that they've got is great under Ten Hag. They're definitely going in the right direction. They're just going to have to put this down to a very, very bad day at the office. And they're going to have to have a look at how that kind of mental capitulation was allowed to take place um, uh, in, in the first place. But I'm sure they'll still be there and thereabouts at the top of the league come the end of the season. Move along to Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The 2023 Men's Asian Cup finally has official dates, January 12 to Feb 10, 2024. And if you want to be there, the Green and Gold Army have you covered. You can register your interest today at ggatravel.com.au and be among the first to know when packages go on sale. Uh, Michael, the Socceroos are coming home. They're going to play Ecuador in Western Sydney and Melbourne later this month, with Graham Arnold expected to give the bulk of his World Cup squad the chance to front up uh, on home soil. So Ecuador, 46th in the world, uh, just missed out on progression to the last 16 in Qatar. Friday, March 24 in Parramatta, and then the 28th, Tuesday night uh, at the Docklands. What a great opportunity for Australians to go and uh, see the Socceroos and uh, show them some love after the wonderful uh, results that they achieved at the FIFA World Cup Qatar last December. However, this is an important stepping stone towards uh, bigger fish to fry for the Socceroos, and that's uh, their favouritism. They're going to be right up there with uh, Iran, Japan, Saudi Arabia, in particular, and Korea for the Asian Cup next January. So, yeah, important games. Ecuador's a good opponent. Uh, we know that they've uh, been um, doing very well. They had a good uh, World Cup. Uh, they were very competitive, and uh, we know how strong their campaign in uh, the South American World Cup qualifiers were. Um, so, yes, looking forward to that, and it's a great opportunity for Socceroos fans to show the Socceroos some love uh, and let them know how much uh, they mean to them in particular. Uh, celebrate the performance uh, in Qatar like uh, you and I did with them. Elise Kellon Knight looks very long odds now to make the Women's World Cup after tearing her Achilles at Melbourne Victory Training on Friday. Uh, she had only just returned to the Matildas in November after that ACL reconstruction and played against Spain in the recent Cup of Nations tournament. Uh, some kind words from those around her. Victory's John Didelitza. Elise is one of the most incredible people and professionals in the game. We're all heartbroken for her. And Tony Gustafsson, who said her comeback had added in value invaluable passion, insight, mentorship, and experience over recent camps. Michael, a, a mainstay has given plenty over not just this World Cup cycle, but the, the previous probably decade and a half, to be uh, to be honest. So, yeah, a real shame. It's a real shame. Her body's letting her down. She's had a, a number of long-term injuries, and um, the mail I was getting out of victory was that she was just starting to, you know, have a, a real impact on the field after... Um, you know, sort of edging through her first five or six matches with Melbourne Victory. So, yeah, devastating news. We'll ask Mackenzie Arnold, I think, um, just what it means to have Elise uh, go down again. But uh, yeah, terribly sad news for uh, a real icon of Australian women's football and uh, current Matilda's leader. So, yeah, um, I don't think there's really 
a lot of um, hope that she will uh, make it back in, in time. And in fact, she probably won't. So, yeah, this is a devastating blow for uh, for Elise personally and uh, the Matildas uh, more generally. Yep, not the news we wanted to finish on, but as you touched on there, Michael uh, Mackenzie-Arnold on the other side of the break. Want the biggest brands at the lowest prices? Then head to Chemist Warehouse today and save on big brands. There's Betadine Antiseptic Topical Solution for just $7.69, Derek. That's not too bad. No, that's a steal, mate. I'll be going down there as soon as the local Chemist Warehouse opens tomorrow. And that's just the first of a few steals. We've got Plunkett's NS8 Heel Balm Complex, 125ml for $10.99. There's Anthro Aid Direct Pain Relief Cream for $16.99. That's for uh, Rob Gilbert. He's been ploughing that on uh, as Liverpool have been through the misery of the past couple of weeks. He doesn't need it this week. They've had that big win against Manchester United. Uh, but there is also the Dermatic Scar Reduction Gel for just $32.99 for those more long-term issues. There's Dr. Lewin's Serum Series Range, $36.99. And Sustagen Active Vanilla, not be confused with Aston Villa, 960 grams at $29.99. Chemist Warehouse, Derek, the great savings. Which days are they on? I think it's every single day, isn't it's it? It's every and, uh, single day. I'll be going out to get my, my heel balm soon. Check your, yeah, well, there's another big season of heels with Futsal just around the corner, so the heel balm always comes in handy. Check your cap, register receipt, and you'll see the savings for yourself every time you shop. Chemist Warehouse, Australia's leading brands at the best prices and the best service. Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Winners of the Cup of Nations, a seven-game winning streak, a tune-up against England next month, and a home World Cup drawing near. It's a very exciting time indeed to be part of the Matildas, and a real privilege for us to welcome incumbent keeper Mackenzie Arnold to the show. Mackenzie, welcome to Box to Box. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Positives all round from the Cup of Nations, three wins, two clean sheets, and a bit of a nice bit of recognition for yourself as well with the player of the tournament gong at the end of it. Uh, football moves fast and you were back over to uh, to London with West Ham on the other side of the world very busy uh, pretty much straight away but did you have time maybe on the flight home to uh, reflect on the tournament just gone? Yeah a little bit I think after the last game we sort of we pretty much went straight to the, the hotel got our suitcases and went to the airport so we were all pretty knackered after that and I think we slept about 11 hours in the first flight so it worked out quite well for us. Just speaking about the Matilda's goalkeeping position broadly, it's been competitive for some time now with yourself, uh, Lydia and, and Tegan Micah having shared the load for the past couple of years. You've been to two World Cups personally but haven't taken the field uh, and it has been a, a bit of a slow burn but I think it's probably fair to say and, and while you may not say it, I'm happy to say it, I think you're at the, the front of the queue uh, at the right time with the, with the next World Cup coming up. How have you stayed sort of level-headed and, and patient while I'm sure also competitive and hungry during what's been, yeah, probably seven or eight years with the national team now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a bit of a roller coaster to be honest. Um, emotionally and physically, I think coming in when I was quite young, um, I just sort of took a lot on board mentally, really, and just learned as much as I could. Um, but yeah, I guess coming into these, these recent years, I've wanted to really push for that number one spot, and it probably hasn't happened as, as soon as I have wanted, but um, I guess coming off the Cup of Nations, um, I was really happy with myself and my performances and 
hopefully I can just take those into the World Cup and I, I guess we'll just see what happens from there. Mackenzie, do you feel like you've improved over the last couple of years in particular that your game is starting to come together? There's a few pundits around town who think that you are one of the most improved of the, the Matildas outfit over the last you know 18 months or post the pandemic period. Do you agree with that? And if you do agree to that, how would you explain that? What's uh, What's been... Uh, the, where's the improvement come from? I think obviously I played overseas in Norway and America before coming here, but wasn't actually the um, the quality that this league provides. I think um, being over here and in, in such a professional environment um, and playing up against some of the the best players in the world, it really opens your eyes and I guess makes you take that step forward in your in your career and the training um, for me, especially over the last I would say seven or eight months. Um, has really kicked up a gear and I think it's really helped mentally as well um, and I think as a goalkeeper that's really important to I guess be physically ready but mentally as well Yeah well done, I want to ask you about West Ham uh, you joined them in 2020 um, uh, and you did it off the back of um, you know having an extensive period um, with you know coming and going from the uh, what was then the W League um, you played at Perth, mm-hmm. Canberra um, Western Sydney Perth again, and also Brisbane, uh, where you played your most um, games in the in the W League. Just for our listening audience, I think they'd love to know at West Ham what resources are at your disposal for your development um, that you get in the Women's Super League compared to your time in the W League. You know, what's how different is the resources that are available for the development of players? Uh, in the Women's Super League compared to the W League or A-League women's now? I mean, yeah, it has been a while since I've been in the W League, so I'm not exactly sure what they're available to right now. But I think just being over here, I mean, just being in in England for a start is just a completely different football and culture um, to Australia. And a lot more people are passionate about it. And I don't know, it's just just a, a whole different experience, to be honest. It's come from... I guess the moment you step out into the field from the training facilities, um, the fans, it's just everything. It's just a whole step higher, I would say. Um, I think that's just footballing in general, you know, not really being a, a top sport in Australia. Obviously, it's more rugby league, AFL kind of place. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know how to explain or put it into words, but it's just a, it's a different experience being over here and it's a different a different culture to be a part of. Uh, my last question before I hand back to Willem is about uh, one of your teammates, um, Elise Callard Knight. Um, she's had a number of long-term injuries. Um, she's a, a veteran of the Matildas setup, um, been an important player over the years. Um, she ruptured her Achilles tendon recently. Um, um, everybody uh, seems to be extremely devastated with that news, and rightly so. But I just thought I'd ask you, uh, when you're here, I know how close your uh, Matildas bond is. It's like a family. When you hear news like that, how does it impact you, and um, and how do you how do you react to that sort of news from one of your Matilda's teammates? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it's devastating for for both her and us. You know, I think when we all found out, we were straight on the phone to her, um, you know, making sure she was all right. And you know, there's there's not much really you can say in that moment to make her feel better. But um, you know, she's the kind of player that is so important on the field and off the field. So. Um, as, as devastating as it is for her, I hope you know we can still bring her in and around the group 
um, throughout our prep and to have her around at the World Cup because she is such an important player for us, yeah, on and off the field. Mackenzie, just days after the match against uh, Jamaica, you were back with West Ham playing Villa in the FA Cup and were asked, I think maybe unfairly, to swim outside the flags a little bit in the penalty shootout. I wish I could ask you about <laughs> slotting a penalty, but unfortunately things didn't quite go that way. Is it fair to say that you can put that down to the ups and downs of uh, the game being encapsulated within a week? To be honest, it's just a penalty. I probably I should have put it away, but I didn't. I, I don't think it's really down to anything except the, the execution of it. But um, I think the girls played well. Um, and uh, we fought back to, to get one all. And I guess unfortunate to not get the win at the end of the day. But um, I know as, as a goalkeeper, I think it's it's fair to say that penalties can go either way, um, not really mattering who plays or who takes the penalty. So unfortunately, we didn't get it. But I mean, it is what it is. And we don't really carry any forward. Uh, can you please give us a bit of an insight into the, the football mind of your manager, Paul Koncheski, obviously uh, a bit of a grizzled veteran of the Premier League scene, played uh, at a lot of top English clubs, including West Ham, and now into into management ranks. How have you found working under Paul? Yeah, he's been good. I had him uh, last year as an assistant as well, so um, I was able to work with him a little bit more before he came into the manager role. And um, I think being a player himself and having the career he had, um, he really brings that into into our team and He's really solid on the field and, you know, as a manager, but I think he understands us off the field as well. Um, and I think it's really important to, you know, have that mental, that mental side and that, and that relationship with us off the field, um, to really understand us as players and what we need and get the best out of us on the field as well. So. He's been really good in that area and, um, yeah, he really cares about us and it's nice. And in just over a month, you'll be back into Matilda's camp. Won't have to travel as far this time. Australia against the Lionesses uh, being played in uh, at the Brentford Community Stadium. Obviously, a, a huge, deep rivalry between the two nations in, in any sport. Uh, and you've got the strong Aussie contingent playing week in, week out in the uh, Women's Super League as well. So I'm sure the excitement and the potential ribbing has been uh, steadily building. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game. I think ever since the G the Australia game in the Olympics. Um, I think there's been a bit of rivalry on that game. So, um, yeah, we definitely all we all play against each other in this league and we're all very excited to face each other, obviously, in the national stage. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be quite a big game and it'll be very interesting. Fantastic, Mackenzie. Really appreciate your time on Box to Box. I understand you played just last night, so I really appreciate you uh, getting up early and uh, giving us a little bit of your time. Congratulations <laughs> on the uh, Cup of Nations gong and all the best for that clash against the Lionesses and beyond. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Matilda's goalkeeper, Mackenzie Arnold there. Stick around on the other side of the break. We'll fly over to Berlin and have a chat to to Kit Holden about the side that just will not back down, Union. When summer changes to autumn, it's a great time to get a little adventurous with a larger variety of spices and herbs that complement the new season. And what better way to reduce fat, sugar and salt when you're trying to eat well and get healthy than to change the mood of your food with the best herbs and spices you can buy from our friends at Hoyt's. Derek, what's been on the menu at the Dyson household this week? You saw me eating my dinner a little earlier, Willem, and there was definitely Hoyt's involved there. It was a kind of chili con carne type creation that I did and I think I would have had some smoked um, paprika in there uh, from Hoyt's and it just gives it that that smoky lovely deep flavour uh, and of course uh, classic Hoyt's bay leaf as well so yeah it was uh, very tasty and 
fueling this podcast. And now that you're out of them, you better make sure you head on down to your local Coles, Woolworths or, or independent supermarket once again and stock up with Hoyt's. Popular autumn herbs, as the season does change, include basil, bay leaf, parsley, rosemary, sage, tarragon and thyme. And seasonal spices include cinnamon, ginger, allspice, cardamom, cloves, nutmeg, star anise, turmeric and cayenne pepper. It is the whole catalogue. Add a little or a lot, whatever works for you. And here is some outrageous, uh, just a brilliant offering here, Derek. You can also refill any of your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. So as always, you will be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Back in October, Union Berlin had the football world staggered as they topped the Bundesliga a third of the way into the season. We've now got less than a third of the season to go and they remain firmly in the mix for success both at home and abroad. As a result, it's time to welcome back to the show an authority of the club, uh, a journalist with The Athletic and author of Scheisse. We're going up, Kit Holden. Kit, great to have you back on. How are you going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good. great to be back on. Uh, as we speak, there are 11 matches to play in the Bundesliga this season. Union sit third, five points behind Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. But that gap's really only opened up in the past fortnight to, to three weeks. They are currently three without a win. But other than that, uh, they've been remarkably consistent throughout both before and after the World Cup. Is there now an expectation that the club will finish in the top four? Yeah, I, th- I think perhaps expectation is, is too strong a word because obviously this is still a club that, you know, four years ago was in the second division and, and you know, still has a much, much smaller budget than than biggest clubs in the league. So I think they've, they've now said, having reached that kind of golden 40-point mark that's always their, their first goal at the start of any season, they've now said they're definitely aiming for Europe this year. Um, I think, though, it is it is true, although nobody's saying it so explicitly, that that if they miss out on top four, it will be it will be a disappointment from this um, from this position. I spoke to Josip Juranovic, the, the new right back who joined from from Celtic in January on on Thursday, and he was saying, yeah, you know, Champions League is is my aim here in the in the remaining six months of the season. So, and I think I think there's a strong belief that yeah, despite the the little dip in form in, in the league in the last couple of weeks, that's still very much possible. I guess what is most extraordinary as well is the fact that they are competing on on two fronts. We do this do see this from time to time where side sort of shoot above their station to an extent but then it is when they enter Europe that resources become stretched but uh, the Europa League into the last 16 and from a pool including Man United Arsenal Roma Juventus uh, just to name a few uh, they've drawn the side you'd probably want Belgian club Union uh, Saint Gilloise so maybe again not to use the term expectation but there'd have to be uh, great excitement around uh, around that draw. Yeah, I think there's definitely a feeling that it's a that it's a winnable tie. Um I mean they played them twice already in the group stage uh and and it was 1-0 they lost 1-0 at home 1-1 away. Um in some ways it's it's perhaps not the best team to be playing right now because because as you said they haven't won for three games they haven't scored for three games in the league they they're struggling to to kind of um uh, yeah be efficient in front of goal and, and and create goals when they're when they have to dominate games and and uh, take games by the scruff of the neck and I think I think Union Saint Gilles were expected to sit back again and play defensively which is not necessarily the style that really suits Union um, they they thrived against Ajax because Ajax were a team that you know had to come and play their own expansive football and, and perhaps left a bit more space at the back for for Union to exploit um, but we'll see I think there is still a, a a lot of optimism and yeah having beaten them once already this year. Um, they they know they can beat them, and having lost to them already, they they know that yeah they're not going to go in with with any complacency. So yeah, I think there's a lot of excitement for sure. Could you just tell tell us a bit about the style that they bring uh, and and how that compares to the rest of the league? 
you know, aside from the kind of story and the narrative, they're, they're perhaps not the best team to watch uh, from a neutral perspective. Um, they are generally very, very well organised at the back. Um, they tend to, to look to hit teams on the break. They've got Geraldo Becker, um, Dutch Suriname's winger, who who is well, one of the fastest players in, in Germany, if not Europe at the moment. Um, who can who can be very very dangerous on the counter attack. Um, they score a lot of goals from from set piece situations, um, from corners, from free kicks. So it's it's yeah, it's it, they're a they're a pragmatic team. Um, that said, I think I think there's sometimes a little bit um, uh, that can be overstated a bit, and they get a bit of a bad reputation for that because although they are a physical team, although they are a well organised uh, sort of defensive unit, they. They have they have had periods in the last few years where they have played more expansive football, where they have uh, taken the game to teams, particularly stronger teams. In fact, you know, the way they've played against Ajax or or Borussia Dortmund or Bayer Leverkusen in, in certain games has been, you know, to play them at their own game and say, look, we can we can play the ball on the floor and and, and play passing football as well. Um, so I think they they do have that up their sleeve, but but that's certainly not their kind of trump card and their 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 go to philosophy. That's very much. Back to basics. Let's defend well, hit teams on the counter, and and try to kind of be efficient and, and pragmatic. And it works. And you know, uh, that's that's the bottom line. Really, is that whenever they hit a bad bad patch of uh, form, they can always fall back on those kind of uh, core things and and tend to muddle through the, the the bad patches with with you know decent enough results to to stay in that sort of top five six, which they have been in the last two years. The uh, Bundesliga is quite compact at the moment. This is fair to say. Uh, you can go down as far as uh, Eintracht in uh, sixth position. They're only only ten points uh, off Bayern at the top, and usually at this start, uh, time of the season, um, Bayern would be streaking clear. Um, do we still think there's a multi-title race on that could include uh, Union, RB Leipzig? You could even go down to Freiburg, I suppose, in you know seven points off the top or. Has it been a, a decisive season that has seen Bayern and Dortmund kind of pull three, you know, five points clear at the top? And do we feel like that's going to be the, you know, normal normal services resumed in terms of the title race? Yeah, and I think that's probably the expectation at this stage is that that, that gap that opened up in the last couple of weeks will will sort of remain and and it will be a two horse race for for most of the rest of the season. But to be honest, I wouldn't I wouldn't write write teams like Union and certainly not Leipzig and Freiburg off because. I mean, we've seen Union just before Christmas had a bad run of form and, and went about, I think it fell about seven points behind Bayern um, and then, you know, made that up immediately after the winter break because Bayern dropped a few points. And we've seen both Bayern and Dortmund at the moment are grinding out results when they're when they're not playing so well. But we've seen, you know, performances like the weekend at, at uh, Stuttgart for Bayern where they very much could have uh, conceded a late, late equaliser and dropped two points. Um, Dortmund have managed to hold on to a couple of narrow victories as well. And I think both those teams... Although they're they're delivering at the moment, uh, are not perhaps so stable that you you wouldn't think they've got the odd kind of slip up in them. Um, and so I think if if clubs like Union and Freiburg Leipzig can can maintain a kind of yeah just about well, keep themselves just about within touching distance, there's always a chance that that you know Nagelsmann's Bayern or, or Terzic's Dortmund have a have a bad patch and suddenly suddenly it's all to play for again and then the pressure is very much on Bayern and Dortmund you know Leipzig Freiburg and Union there's no expectation whatsoever that these teams are going to be in the title race so if they do get a foothold in there again the momentum is very much with them and the pressure is very much on Bayern and Dortmund so I think it is open but but yeah I think everyone will be surprised if it's not one of those two two big clubs that wins it this year and what's the uh, the feeling in Munich at the moment uh, and around Julian Nagelsmann's team I mean obviously they're now back top of uh, Bundesliga where they'd they'd like to be obviously in Europe and competitive there 
uh, at the moment. But I mean, a buying, a buying kind of feeling like you know this is you know that the, the, they're kind of turning a corner now. Four wins out of the last five games, or do you still think there's um, sort of discontentment there that this isn't hasn't been a kind of classic buying season? And despite the fact that they only lost two games all season, scored scored six six goals. Um, on paper, it looks okay, but there's there's a little bit more going on at Bayern, isn't there? Yeah, very much so. And I think a lot for Julian Nagelsmann uh, and Bayern hangs on, on on the game this week against Paris Saint-Germain. I think, you know, if that goes well, uh, then I think the momentum they've had in the last few weeks will will uh, probably last a bit longer and there'll be a uh, a sense that, that yeah, Bayern are kind of back to normality, if you like, and winning winning games week in week out. But if they if they stumble, if they get knocked out by PSG, which isn't isn't impossible at all, then suddenly it's it's back into full crisis mode. And we saw it last year, um, where where Bayern were having a kind of a similar season, where they you know were perhaps a little bit more comfortable in the league, but they were there were still there were some problems rumbling on. It was Lewandowski's future was was kind of a, a problem in the in the back rooms and stuff. And and it seemed okay. The Nagelsmann seemed to be on a kind of you know reasonably okay footing until they lost to Villarreal in the Champions League, and then suddenly all hell broke loose. And there was you know huge questions over his future and whether or not he was good enough for the job. And that will be the same this year if they if they have a similarly early or, or, or embarrassing exit from the Champions League. So a lot depends on that. I think they are, as I say, a very very good team, but but psychologically and, and in terms of the atmosphere around them still quite fragile um and i think if if something big does happen to them knocks them off course then then they they do have the capacity to to fall apart this year um but yeah it's buy-in so so the expectation is, is very much that won't happen and one final one from me just looking down at the table uh it's a few big names down there uh it's a uh, berlin stuttgart Hoffenheim, who are not necessarily a big name but they were up the other end of the table as as recently as last season, and uh, another one of these teams punching above their weight, but five uh, straight defeats uh, doesn't look good for them. And of course, Schalke sitting in one of those automatic relegation um, places. You, do you think we're going to lose one or possibly even two of the big traditional powerhouse clubs of Bundesliga this season? Yeah, it's a fascinating relegation fight. I mean, you know, I think until a few weeks ago, everybody would have said Schalke were 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 100% certain to go down. It looked like there was a, a completely un, unrecoverable gap opening up. Um, but they've they've won a couple of really really key games in the last two weeks at Bochum at the weekend, um, and really turned it around and got back in the mix. Um, Hertha, I think, look uh, although they lost at the weekend to Leverkusen, I think they do look a lot more stable under under Sandro Schwarz in the last few weeks, and I think they're probably. Uh, the club that I would say are most likely to to pull clear and 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 not be in danger come come the start of May. So, um, but yeah, Stuttgart look despite the quality in their squad, despite Bruno Labbadia being an experienced uh, relegation fight coach, um, look like a team who who don't really have a clear direction at the moment. It could go down. Schalke, I think uh, uh, the the squad is still kind of not perhaps not quite uh, high quality enough to say that they, they will definitely pull through, even though they, they've had a good few results. And Hoffenheim, very, again, similarly to Stuttgart, just look like a, a kind of directionless club at the moment. And, and again, they have a very, very high quality squad. There's not a squad you think would, would go down. And Hoffenheim are usually a club that, even in a bad year, would, would you know not be that far down in the relegation fight because they do have the resources to, to keep themselves up there. But yeah, it's, it's, it really is all to play for. And I, I, I think it's very, very fascinating. If I had to pick two teams, I'd probably say... Bochum and Hoffenheim are going down on, on current uh, current form and then one of Stuttgart and Schalke will, will be in that relegation playoff place and yeah we'll see uh, we'll see what happens 
Kit, just to circle back to Union to close, what does the future look like beyond this season? Obviously, a club that's risen from such humble uh, beginnings just a, just a little while back. Josip Juranovic, a player that we know well, uh, who you mentioned earlier here in Australia, having played for Celtic, has been signed for a club record €8.5 million. Euros. Uh, I assume, or what are the things being put in place at the club to make sure that it's not just a case of Urs Fischer leaves, a, top couple of, a couple of top players leave and the, uh, the momentum falls out of, of the project? What, what's being put in place to make sure that they can be uh, a top 10 German club ongoing? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the key thing, players leaving, is, happens week in, week out, uh, year in, year out at Union, and is in some ways part of their model. The 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 kind of uh, churn of, of the squad and and the the turnover of players is is something which has in some ways contributed to their success because it's always refreshed the team and 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 uh, stopped the kind of fatigue that you see setting in with with other teams who play high intensity football. Um, they players leaving will will not be something that throws off Union off their stride. They've shown in the last few years they can deal with that. The, the big question is is if and when not only Urs Fischer leaves but also Oliver Runa, the the sporting director who's uh, worked really really well with Fischer in the last few years, who's been behind this fantastic recruitment policy and and squad building policy. Um, there's been talk of him potentially uh, being linked to a job at the the DFB, the German FA, which is also in a kind of transition phase at the moment after those two terrible World Cups. So. You know that's the kind of job that you, you might expect somebody like that to be interested in. So, if I think if Runeut were to go, Fisher would have more of a reason to go if the right job came along. At the moment, as long as both of them are there, I think they're both very happy, and and I think Union will be confident of keeping them for a few more years. And there are you know people within the club that they're already kind of lining up for as successes for those two. Uh, you've got Michelle Parrons and the the former player who's kind of essentially acting now as, as Runat's wingman and is, is being kind of groomed for that job. It's a, uh, it tends to be the, the what people expect. Um, so, yeah, there, there are contingencies in place, but I think, um, yeah, the, the disastrous situation for Union will be if Runa, um leaves, that causes Fisher to leave, and then suddenly that kind of axis, which has uh, driven the success, is gone. Um, I think, as, as I say, most people are confident that that won't happen this summer, but the more successful you are, the, the more likely that is that, that somebody comes along and... and Makes an offer you can't refuse. Well, Kit, thank you very much for your time. If you want to go back and read through the early chapters of Union's recent rise, make sure you grab a copy of Kit's Scheisser, We're Going Up. And it's been awesome to have you uh, as part of our program documenting the more recent chapters. So thank you uh, once again, Kit. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll ask you back on as the pointy end of the season uh, comes upon us. Thanks very much, guys. It's a pleasure. Kit Holden of The Athletic there. Stick around on the other side of the break. Plenty more to thrash out in Women's World Cup Corner. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back. Fantastic to uh, have a chat to Kit Holden there. A little bit more time in the show. We'll turn our attention, as always, to Women's World Cup Corner and Edge. Canada soccer and its national women's teams have uh, been in the spotlight over the past little while. We saw the Matildas wearing the purple uh, wrist tape saying, pay our friends uh, or pay my friends during the Cup of Nations. Uh, They have this week reached an interim funding agreement. Uh, The Soccer Association spent $11 on their and the Australian dollar, dollar and the Canadian dollar are, are relatively similar at the minute. Eleven million on their men's program in 2021, compared to 5.1 million on the uh, women. Uh, the women's side described that discrepancy as disgusting. They hadn't been paid at all in 2022 as the dispute played out. Uh, that, of course, is rather incongruous given how much uh, 
Canada's women have given to football as opposed to Canada's men over the you know past 30 odd years. Uh, their president, Nick Bontis, has resigned this week, a move welcomed by both the men and women's teams. Uh, the interim deal is now going to reflect the men's CBA regarding game-by-game incentives and results-based payment. I guess what we're saying is every week, these are the stories that are dominating the headlines around the Women's World Cup, not so much who's in form, who's not, who's playing at the World Cup for the first time. Uh, women's football has grown rapidly, uh, and as a result, all these sort of issues uh, that usually play out over time need to be sorted in a quicker time in line with the growth of the game. Yeah, it's a very predictable outcome, isn't it, that uh, Canada Association would eventually um, come to the table and uh, and deal with this issue appropriately. Um you know, I don't want to defend anyone, but I do have sympathy for some of these football associations who are not terribly well off financially and have got themselves into a few problems uh, because they uh, have given away a large share of their uh, earnings like uh, uh, in terms of the men's team through the collective bargaining process. So the women are catching up. Um, quite rightly, Canada's uh, associations come under enormous scrutiny as to um, what's been going on there um, let's hope it's uh, you know let's hope the, the outcome satisfies all stakeholders in this uh, in this process and the Canadian women can come to Australia and uh, perform at their best because at their best they're good enough to go you know most of the way and um, I'm very interested in watching this Canadian team go around because they've got a lot of uh, very significant players and uh, we saw at Olympic Games just how good they can be. In addition to the chat we had earlier about the uh, visit Saudi furor, Gianni Infantino has this week piped up on the One Love armbands, which were contentious during the, uh, well, certainly in the lead up to the Qatar World Cup. They were going to be allowed until the very last minute. Uh, he's cited now, Gianni Infantino, that process as a learning process. What I can say on this issue, he said, is I think we all went through a learning process there. Uh, what we will try to do better this time is to search and look for dialogue with everyone involved, captains, federations, the players generally, FIFA, from all over the world to capture the different sensitivities, to explain, to exchange, and to see what can be done in order to express a position, a value, or a feeling that somebody has without hurting anyone else. In a positive way, we are looking for a dialogue, and we will have a position in place well before the Women's World Cup, I hope so. Uh, Derek, your thoughts on this? My recollection is that there was plenty of time for dialogue in the lead-up to the Men's World Cup when the one love armband clearly uh, was an issue for Qatar and uh, ex- you know, uh, expressing such a such an armband was an issue there. Uh, to now turn around less than four months later and say it's really going to be all good uh, in Australia and New Zealand to me uh, doesn't line up as though he's just come to the uh, conclusion through a learning process. I think you've summarised it really, really well. Well, I don't know what else to add there, but uh, yeah, it's slightly better than his his line where he was saying that he was disabled and that he was gay and that he was African. Uh, it's a slight, slightly more co- coherent um, uh, analysis there than that, but yeah, look, clearly it's one. You know, it, Qatar was obviously just not it, it, whatever was going on behind the scenes. Like clearly, FIFA has its principles, but they didn't extend to force you know forcing something like that on a host nation and causing causing embarrassment or, or disquiet. But obviously. With this tournament being in Australia, clearly they don't have the same problems in terms of pushback from government and and local people. So I think it's a lot easier for him to come out and talk about dialogue and cohesion and and, and discussion. So yeah, I mean it's just 
you know, one rule for some and one rule for something else, I think. Just about have to wrap it there. Edge, you're off for uh, dinner. I'm not sure they'll be serving the Hoyts, herbs and spices, but they'll be whipping up something tasty. Where are you off to? I'm going uh, with a couple of um, uh, colleagues that are over here from France. I'm going to a restaurant called Cabbages and Condoms. And why is it called thus? Well, it just so happens to be located next to the sexual health centre um, where obviously people go to get tested for various um, various activities that they might have undertaken, uh, in particular the women of uh, Bangkok. So, um, yeah, it's just in the theme of the sexual health centre, there's a big restaurant that's very famous in uh, Bangkok and it's uh, themed with a lot of condom art and they call it cabbages and condoms <clears> and <throat> it serves extremely good Thai food. Nice. We'll get stuck in. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Thank you uh, for being with us this week. Derek, big week in the uh, Dyson household. All the best and looking very much forward to uh, to an update. Are we going to have you on the show over the next little while? We'll see. Uh, I should be I should be joining you next week. Let's just see. All righty. Look forward to it. Damo, thank you as always for your work behind the scenes and to Rob who will be uh, back with us next week. That is for sure. Uh, make sure, listeners, thank you for uh, for tuning in. Make sure that you subscribe to box to box and box to box Stoppage Time wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can tweet us at box to box nts and like us on Facebook as well jump online at box to box.nts.au i believe it is and have a read through some of our written content as well and join us uh, next week as we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game